This podcast was produced in partnership with Post Industrial Media. Post Industrial produces original journalism in podcast, print, online, and video, covering communities in transition around the world. Join our community today by visiting postindustrial.com. Join me for the Pledge of Allegiance, please. It's Patriots Day, April 19th, 2019, and a bunch of militia members are gathered on the steps of the Idaho Capitol building in Boise. For which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The MC is Eric Parker. You might recognize him from episode two. He's the leader of the real three percenters of Idaho militia. This is his group's rally. Here, he's introducing the women who lead a statewide anti-vaccine group. Thanks, Russ. Minutemen come in many forms today. And uh, these ladies are definitely doing what it takes to make sure you guys are informed and prepared to respond. So here's Sarah. She's going to tell you about Health Freedom Idaho. This being Idaho, this whole scene isn't actually so unusual. Idaho is a militia stronghold, and this is one of their favorite holidays. Patriots Day commemorates key battles in the American Revolution. It's not a holiday typically recognized with a day off, but these militia members see themselves as the ultimate patriots and often hold rallies to mark the day. The time is now, the threat is clear. The bands of tyranny are tightening around America and it's our duty to resist. That's militia member and Idaho State Representative Chad Christensen. What's new this time is that the state's Lieutenant Governor, Janice McGeehan, is there with the militia. And what she does next is pretty surprising. She gathers the militia around her and begins to give them an oath. The oath is almost exactly the one U.S. troops take when they join the military. For troops, it means you're trusted with using deadly force in defense of the country. You're now an instrument of war. To you, I've given it to several senators during my term as lieutenant governor. And today it's really special because I'm actually your acting governor when we do this. So if you'll hold up your right hand and all of you please repeat after me. And when I say I, state your name. Each of you say your name, okay? I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic. Against all enemies foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. So help me God. So help me God. To be clear, what you just listened to is the second highest elected official in the state seemingly swearing in a militia. And it seems notable that McGeehan waited until the governor left the state to do it. Either way, people lost their minds. It made national news. Lieutenant Governor swears in the militia was one headline. The stunt was an early salvo for McGeehan in what would become an all-out war with the governor, fellow Republican Brad Little. It would not be the last time McGeehan would pull something like this when the governor was out of town. It was also an indication that a new crop of far-right politicians like McGeehan weren't content to be backbenchers standing on principle. They wanted power, and McGeehan was ready to lead them there. (laughs) 
Increasingly, the political extreme is blurring with mainstream politics across the country. And in some cases, winning elections. And if you want to see what happens when once fringe politicians start making policy, well, to quote the state's official song, here we have Idaho. I'm Heath Drusen, and this is Extremely American, a look inside militias and other far-right groups that are trying to remake America in their absolutist image. Episode 6, The Anti-Government Government. McGeehan took office as Idaho's lieutenant governor just three months before the militia oath incident. Here's then-governor-elect Brad Little calling her up to the podium for a victory speech. The next lieutenant governor of Idaho, the first female lieutenant governor, Janice McGeehan had gotten here through a bruising five-way Republican primary, winning with less than 29% of the votes. But in Idaho, the primary is pretty much the election for all statewide offices. And that proved to be the case for McGeehan. She beat her Democratic opponent by nearly 20 points in the general election. In Idaho, the governor and lieutenant governor are not a ticket. They run separately, so they're not necessarily allies, or even the same party. For a while, though, it seemed like Republicans McGeehan and Little might work together. McGeehan was pretty glowing in her assessment of Little in this interview with a local TV station right after she assumed office. Well, I thought he did a great job. He had some visionary ideas. He laid those out. And it's great to see the leadership from um, people that he's appointed in different positions, uh, business leaders, and an emphasis on entrepreneurship in our states. So I'm really looking forward to working with our new governor. In a way, the 59-year-old McGeehan kind of came out of nowhere. She is well-known in Idaho Falls, a town of about 60,000 people in eastern Idaho. There, she runs the Kelp Pub, a popular Irish-themed bar and restaurant. She also owns a couple automotive businesses with her husband. McGeehan did have a previous political career, serving the Idaho House of Representatives for 10 years. She made occasional noise as the chair of the Health and Welfare Committee, including fighting the implementation of Obamacare. But she wasn't well-known outside of eastern Idaho. And by the time she started her campaign for lieutenant governor, she'd been out of office for five years. When she threw her hat in the ring, there was a lot of bipartisan eye-rolling. She had a reputation for being fond of militia members and holding extreme views, like this one she explained on a podcast. I don't view that the federal government owns the land in Idaho. My view is that the land of Idaho belongs to the state of Idaho. She's basically saying Idaho should take control of federal lands, like national forests and monuments. That's 63% of Idaho's landmass. It didn't really matter, though. She didn't need many votes to win. Remember, she jumped into that five-way primary, and she won with less than 29% of the vote. That path to victory has a lot to do with how extreme Idaho politics have tilted recently. Back in 2011, the Idaho GOP closed its primary to anyone not registered as a Republican. Sure, Republicans have a huge advantage over Democrats in Idaho, as you would expect. But about a third of voters aren't registered with any party. Now, they couldn't vote in GOP primaries. 
Boise State University political science professor Jacqueline Kettler says that changes the dynamic of the election. One concern with primaries, especially closed primaries, is that because you are limiting who can participate, you're going to push candidates to be more ideologically extreme because the concern is that primary election voters are themselves going to be more ideologically extreme. And in red Idaho, where every statewide office is held by Republicans, candidates rarely shift toward the middle for a general election. And then since our general elections aren't especially competitive, and sometimes at the legislative level, not even contested, there's no push on these candidates to then potentially moderate or try to appeal to a broader voting population. And so that may contribute to this continued movement, in this case to the right, in order to be successful in those key primary elections. In the past 10 years, a whole caucus of far-right candidates have found their way into state office. They call themselves the Liberty Caucus. One member was named in a domestic terrorism report for helping plan that armed standoff with the federal government at an Oregon wildlife refuge. That was the one with Ammon Bundy and a group of armed allies we mentioned in the last episode. And a group of several other far-right legislators even visited Bundy in support. The list of far-right lawmakers also includes an actual militia member. Remember Representative Chad Christensen from the Patriots Day rally? He lists membership in the Oath Keepers militia on his legislative page. Christensen regularly uses violent rhetoric on Facebook and in speeches. Here's how Christensen described himself to me. I'm a constitutionalist. I, I believe I followed the Constitution and uphold it. And these days, I, I, you know, that's viewed as extreme, I think. And our founders were viewed as extremists for upholding God-given rights and, and fighting for God-given rights and pushing back government for that reason. And government intrusion is a problem. It was then and is today. And so I think that I'm a good company, if, if that's the case. And you know, they were called extremists as well. Christensen is also one of McGeehan's biggest backers. So yeah, elected officials who are friendly with militia leaders and lawmakers who are actual militia members, elected officials like that have become a lot more visible since the GOP closed their primary. What does it meant? In quick order, Idaho dismantled even the tiny bit of regulation it had on guns in the last few years. That permit to carry a concealed firearm, it's now optional. A far-right lawmaker got legislation passed forcing high school trans athletes to compete under their gender assigned at birth. It became a blueprint for other GOP legislatures across the country. Lawmakers even started rejecting essentially free money. In 2021, the Idaho legislature said no thanks to millions of federal dollars for early childhood education and COVID-19 testing. It kind of looked like government turning on itself. Several other Republican-led states have also rejected federal money aimed at mitigating the financial fallout from the pandemic. In Idaho, the unofficial leader of this group of far-right politicians is McGeehan. She's often the keynote speaker at their rallies. So back to her and the governor. Remember those good feelings right after Election Day 2018? They didn't last long. First, there was the stunt where she swore in the militia behind Little's back. How could she even do that? In Idaho, when the governor leaves the state, the lieutenant governor becomes acting governor. What powers that exactly confers has been the subject of quite a bit of debate between McGeehan and the current governor. Little stayed pretty quiet about the swearing in, but it showed an early fracture in their relationship. Then the COVID-19 pandemic started and that fracture became a chasm. The first case of the virus was reported in Idaho in March, 2020. Little shut down all businesses not deemed essential. Given the spread of coronavirus in Idaho, today I am signing a new extreme emergency declaration. 
For McGeehan, it was like a declaration of war. She went into full rebellion. She started visiting businesses defying the order. She posed for a picture at a brewery that had a grand reopening while the order was still in place. But there was more. Much more. In October 2020, she appeared in this video by the far-right Idaho Freedom Foundation. A parade of absolutist lawmakers kicked it off. The kind of people given a better chance by closed primaries. As stated in our state constitution and restated here, we remain grateful to Almighty God for our freedoms. The video was a protest against Little's pandemic measures, featuring McGee and State House allies. One lawmaker even questions if the pandemic is real. In the middle of the video, McGeehan shows up. She's got a Bible in one hand. An American flag hangs off the van she's in. We recognize that all of us are, by nature, free and equal, and have certain inalienable rights, among which are enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing happiness and securing safety. As she says pursuing happiness, she smiles as she raises her right hand to reveal a handgun, which she places on the Bible. Another broadside against the governor. Another stunt that gets McGee in national attention. She started traveling around the state, criticizing Little's emergency order. No one could remember a fight like this between a governor and lieutenant governor in the state. When asked by the Idaho Capital Sun about their relationship, Little responded in his typically dry fashion. Quote, It's not as cordial as I wish it was, he said. It got even less cordial, though. On a blustery day in March 2021, McGeehan joined a crowd gathered at the steps of the Idaho Capitol. Governor Brad Little had practically been begging Idahoans to wear masks to slow the spread of COVID-19. It was guidance agreed to by just about every medical expert. So naturally, this was a mask-burning rally. There were dozens of these rallies organized around the state that day to protest pandemic measures. And as has often been the case of these things, McGeehan was the star of the show. Thank you for your efforts to organize a statewide burning campaign. And last I heard, there were 50 cities around the state. Is that right? About 50 burn sites? Awesome. Well, good job. This was in the midst of a pandemic that had killed more than half a million Americans at that point. Many of them had refused to get vaccinated due to misinformation. But for good measure, McGeehan also thanked anti-vaxxers from the podium. McGeehan has been at the forefront of repeating pandemic misinformation. So do not believe what we're being told, that we have to stay in this emergency order in order to keep our people safe. In the pandemic and the order, McGeehan sees the creeping hand of Washington, D.C. in state affairs. My concern of what I see happening today is that we are continuing down that road of servitude to the federal government. It needs to stop today, not tomorrow, not one year from now, not two years from now, not four years from now. It needs to stop now. We need to stop that emergency order in the state. Afterwards, people got around metal burn barrels and dropped their masks into the fire. Many brought their kids and encouraged them to throw a mask in, too. I picked up some masks from the Winco parking lot that I'm going to burn. At this point, McGeehan's next move almost seemed inevitable, even though it was nearly unprecedented in Idaho. She took on an incumbent in her own party. What we have seen over the past year is unacceptable. 
the violations of our individual rights, our state sovereignty, and our traditional conservative principles is intolerable. I refuse to stand by and allow these abuses to go unchallenged. That would be a disservice to our state and a violation of my sworn oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Idaho. I can't do that, and I won't do that. That, that is why I am running to be your next governor of the state of Idaho. It was May 20th, 2021. Little hadn't officially announced he was running for re-election, but everyone assumed he would. The speech was aimed squarely at him and his response to the pandemic. Moderate Republicans and Democrats set off alarm bells. They saw McGeehan as an extremist trying to reach the highest levels of state government. Far-right activists and politicians celebrated. McGeehan is staunchly anti-abortion. She's for Idaho taking control of federal lands within its borders. Her vision is also for Idaho to act more like a sovereign nation in a loose commonwealth, rather than a state in a larger country. That means rejecting federal money sometimes. It's how a lot of militia members see states' rights. McGeehan also made a private announcement of her run that's a little more telling. Remember Eric Parker, the Idaho militia leader from Episode 2? The president of the Real Three Percenters of Idaho? Here's Parker introducing McGeehan in one of her early campaign events. Parker is talking about meeting her after getting out of prison. I met Janice when I got home. And she says, if, if I get in, you're going to have a friend in the governor's office. That sounded good to me. So we went <laughs> the, the thing that happened is she wasn't lying. And almost immediately, this militia-endorsed candidate started acting like she was already the governor. A week after she launched her gubernatorial campaign, she announced this. Well, good morning. I am Janice McGeehan, acting governor today. I'm not sure where the governor is. He's out of the state. But when he leaves the state, according to our Constitution, then I am the governor while he's out of the state. And so today, as a response to what I have heard from people all across the state, I have issued an executive order which which uh, terminates all mask mandates across our state, including in our schools and uh, anywhere else. McGeehan issued the executive order behind Governor Brad Little's back. Little reversed the order within a day. He issued an angry statement, calling McGeehan's move a, quote, irresponsible, self-serving political stunt. Taking a page out of McGeehan's far-right playbook, he also called her unilateral action, quote, tyranny. I reached out to McGeehan multiple times, but she declined the interview. She's not a big fan of the press, like in this CNN interview. The reporter asks her about her rebellion against the governor. Again, you're being an activist. I am not anti-vax. I am not anti-testing of COVID. We know a lot of people that are suffering from this right now, but I am very much against having it be a mandate in our state. And that's what this is all about. People should not be forced to decide to but he never mandated anything. The governor okay. never mandated anything. Interview's over. When McGeehan issued a rogue executive order when the governor was out of the state, she appeared to be at least following the letter of the law in Idaho. Usurping power while the governor is away is actually one of the only powers the lieutenant governor has. Like the vice president, Idaho's number two mostly breaks ties in the Senate. But it is a platform, 
and often a jumping off point to getting elected governor or to Congress. If you play your cards right, you can use the office and its soapbox to be a power broker. And McGeehan continued to play a lot of cards. In October, Governor Little left the state again, this time heading down to the Mexican border with some other Republican governors. They posed for the cameras on border patrol boats, talked about drugs coming over the border, the usual. And for those keeping score at home, Idaho does have an international border, but it's with Canada. Anyway, McGeehan had a show of her own planned. It got national attention and mockery. So I'll let comedian and last week tonight host John Oliver explain. While the Idaho governor was out of state, his lieutenant governor issued an executive order trying to ban schools from requiring employees to be vaccinated. And not just that, she also sent the state national guard a query about activating troops and sending them to the U.S.-Mexico border, which is a pretty bold move from a second in command. It's basically a plane's pilot going to the bathroom and the co-pilot announcing, change of plans, we're headed to Reno. My buddy said he'd set me up with a cousin of his if I was ever there and I saw a picture of her and she's an absolute smoke show, so strap in folks, it's going to be bumpy on purpose. Little didn't wait till he was back in the state. He repealed her order nearly immediately. McGeehan's action was never likely to stick, but it motivated her far-right base. And the strategy has motivated other far-right politicians, too. A group of McGeehan's allies have announced their own runs for statewide office. Far-right candidates are running for Secretary of State, Lieutenant Governor, and Attorney General, to name a few. In fact, this group of far-right legislators and their allies are running for nearly every statewide office. As you heard in the last episode, anti-government leader Ammon Bundy is also running for Idaho governor. McGeehan's rise in the COVID-19 pandemic has supercharged their ambition. And that's something conservative Jennifer Ellis says she saw coming. You know, it's been really disheartening. I had a friend tell me at the start of COVID that this was going to be the best thing that ever happened to the militias and the fringe groups because they could coalesce with so many different messages now. And it appears to me that the anti-vaxxers and the militias, the far-right politicians, have all found a rallying cry. Ellis is a rancher who's been active in Idaho GOP politics for decades. She's one of McGeehan's biggest critics and an anti-extremist activist. Ellis co-founded the group's Idaho Conservatives and, more recently, the Take Back Idaho Committee. They're aimed at pulling state politics back to the middle. Ellis is right about the pandemic bringing the far right together. Since COVID-19 hit Idaho, far right groups that might not have been affiliated in the past have come together to fight pandemic restrictions. Idaho gun rights groups, anti-vaccine activists, the right-wing lobbying group Idaho Freedom Foundation, and militias all appear at each other's rallies. And McGeehan and her allies are regulars at these rallies, which have become campaign stops. You know, you can only pound on the Second Amendment for so long with a certain amount of people willing to engage. But when you have broad-spectrum issues, then more people are willing to be involved because one of those issues is their passion. And McGeehan has a shot at becoming governor. Her antics didn't just catch the attention of comedians and national reporters. In November 2021, former President Donald Trump endorsed her. In a closed GOP primary, all of these far-right candidates running for statewide office have a shot. That worries Ellis, who's been dismayed by the same candidates repeating COVID-19 misinformation throughout the pandemic. These people are actively engaged in the disinformation that is killing people. You've never been able to say that before, not in my lifetime. And so if you have a slate, even if a few of them get constitutional offices, 
not only are we going to be the laughing stock of the U.S., which we already dang near are, but you'll just see it spiral even further downhill. And no rational Idahoan wants to see that happen. On that, we'll see. Idaho politics has been marching steadily to the right the past few years. But there's also arguably more organized anti-extremism opposition than ever before. I'm not sure who will win. One thing I do know, it's going to be a very ugly fight. Next time on Extremely American, we head back to the Rust Belt. In Ohio, a congressional district that's gone to Democrats for decades could flip to the far, far right. Redistricting is at the heart of it. The reality is that when you gerrymander, you are potentially reshaping your own party's politics in in ways that may be unintended. We meet the candidate who could take over that seat, a guy who's a member of the insurrection wing of the GOP and who's been cozy with QAnon. And we'll even leave time for a dip into the tunes of the far right. Extremely American was created by me, Heath Drusen. Story editing by Morgan Springer. Mixing and sound engineering by James Dawson. Original music by Micah Huang. Additional music from Artlist. Kim Palmero is editor-in-chief and CEO of Post-Industrial Media. Thanks also to Boise State Public Radio, the exclusive public radio sponsor for this podcast. I hope you'll take a second to rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen. It helps other people find us. This podcast is made possible through the Candida Fund. Learn more at kendeda.org and from the Joyce Foundation, joycefdn.org, with support from the Forbes Funds at forbesfunds.org. For photos from this series and some companion articles, head over to postindustrial.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Post Industrial Media. Post-Industrial covers people, culture, and ideas for post-industrial communities around the world. Visit postindustrial.com to learn how you can join the post-industrial community.